Biz News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour. I'm Michael Apple. It's Wednesday, the 23rd of February. It's a budget speech loaded edition of BPH tonight. Editor Alec Hogg is in the mother city for Enoch Godongwana's maiden budget address. In a sequence of sound bites you'll hear tonight, you'll get everything directly from the source, the finance minister and his deputy. Uh, you'll hear about the wage bill, ESCOM's debt, Bain and Company's continued work in the public sector, and is government prepared to do anything about it? And then, very importantly, structural reforms uh, to our economy. Then, Alec chats to my colleague Nadia Swart for a budget 2022 debrief. As always, our partner, the FT, has all the international business news you need to know. Now, to your news headlines. Brightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity. And the budget speech isn't any different. The minister's speech means change for us all. Some small, some big. This budget speech, special edition of the Biz News Power Hour, is illuminated by Brightrock. The first ever needs to match life insurance that changes as your life changes. Minister of Finance Enoch Gonaguana presented the 2022 budget speech today. Business founder Alec Hogg, who attended the pre-budget lockup presser, said that Gonaguana did his best to instill hope on the logic that without hope there can be no confidence. In uplifting news, South Africa's total tax revenue exceeded the February 2021 budget speech estimate by 182 billion rand at 1.55 trillion rand. Improved revenue is primarily due to improved commodity prices, with corporate tax receipts from mining companies accounting for most of the increase. The economy is also expected to reach pre-pandemic levels of GDP this year. Hogg reported that the rebuilding of SARS is evidenced in the recruitment of an additional 490 staff and the investment of 430 million rand in modernizing its ICT infrastructure. Former State Security Minister Ayanda Dlodlo has washed her hands of the responsibility for the intelligence failures during the July 2021 riots that shocked the country. Testifying before the South African Human Rights Commission this week, Dlodlo said she was not responsible for other departments' failures to deliver intelligence reports to the ministers or officials in charge. She also said that she did not have the authority to declassify information. Lord Law and Police Minister Becky Klele were implicated in the failures that enabled rioters and looters to rampage through KwaZulu-Natal and parts of Gauteng. So far, no officials have taken ownership of these failures nor been held accountable. The city of Johannesburg has given property owners over 2.2 billion rand in rebates over the last financial year. The city says that the rebates attempt to offer business and property owners relief during a tight economic period. The city of Joburg stressed that this forms part of its plans to make Johannesburg a business-friendly city. The announcement of the rebates comes a week after the city terminated services to properties that were in arrears. And now it's on to my colleague Justin for the Market Report. The JSEL share index was lower at 75,200. In the share price action, Steinoff, Transaction Capital and MTN were leading the pack on the JSE today, whilst the miners, a broad sell-off amongst the commodity counters and process were deep in the red. The Jeltec crypto basket is up 4% on the day. In the currency markets, the rand was slightly stronger against all the major currencies that's following the budget speech by the finance minister, uh, the rand is at 15 rand 4 cents to the dollar. It's at 20 rand 46 cents 
to the pound and 17 rand and seven cents to the euro. Gold was stronger at $1,896 an ounce. A Kruger Rand will cost you around 30,000 Rand. Brent crude is trading at $86.90 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 590,000 Rand per coin. In the financial news, building contractor ProBuild has become the largest casualty of Australia's increased pressure construction industry after its South African parent appointed administrators after propping it by more than 2 million Rand over the past four years. Johannesburg-listed builder Wilson Bailey Homes said on Wednesday it put the Australian business into administration after it severely depleted its resources and racked up losses to date that would have a significant effect on WBHO's financial performance. With effect from 22 February 2022, the company will no longer provide financial assistance to ProBuild, otherwise known as Wilson Bailey Homes Australia. This has led to Wilson Bailey Homes Australia Board to commence with the application for the administration of the company. What is in my head is, is to reduce the amount of money I pay for the wage bill. Now, there are two options open to you to achieve that objective. It's either the headcount and the unions will tell you your problem is not the headcount. That may be accurate, because what has happened over the years has been above inflation increases, which therefore push the wage bill, and a whole range of other things like occupational discipline, whatever OSDs, which kind of uh, you uh, in, increase the amount you pay as government. It may well be that what we should be discussing about is how to restructure that wage structure, which has become cumbersome. Uh, now, the modalities of that is something we need to come up in the discussion with the unions. We are having a summit, a four-day summit with them on the 28th of March to the 31st of March. Now, I don't want to prejudge the outcome of those meetings, but I know from an employer perspective, what would be of interest to us is how do we restructure that wage bill in such a manner that uh, in relative terms what we pay is commensurate with what would be affordable from a government perspective. Now it will be that it may include wage moderation or anything else, but we've got to restructure that wage bill. Uh, that's what we're aiming at. and. It's, it's not something inconceivable for us. From, from where we sit, we make projections. Uh, they are, we had a meeting with the unions. They were attacking us. I said, you, Treasury, uh, we only hear you put a number at 20 billion. By the time we go into the negotiations, uh, uh, you're actually undermining the negotiation process because what are we going to negotiate? Because you've got a fixed amount, a number. Uh, the only way you can solve that is by changing the negotiating uh, calendar. All right. uh, in my view, changing the negotiating calendar so that we negotiate early by the time we table the budget, there's consensus. Uh, on, on, on. Otherwise, in the absence of that, we can't go into a, into a budget without attaching a number. So, in a sense, what we want to achieve is to restructure the wage bill. I prefer to talk about that formulation.
ESCOM debt solution. We're dealing with that issue in detail. Interesting in the speech, we're dealing with that issue in detail in this speech. The reason we're dealing with it, uh, uh, there's been some discussion amongst a number of people, including our team in ALM, which has come to the conclusion that if you look at the structure of FCOM that does what they call distressed component of it, which whether you like it or not, ESCOM will never be able to, to pay it. Some fiscal intervention will probably be necessary. Um, will probably be necessary. I'm saying well and good, but let's see some action from ESCOM side. Let's see some uh, 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 turnaround plans, efficiencies. Let's see them selling assets. We don't want any assets to sell. We don't want the money, but it must go to, to us settling that. There must be an effort on their side. Let's meet our, each other in a way which is uh, constructive. Yeah. The unfortunate, I'm, I'm, I don't know, but that's the conversation we want to have with ESCOM. We're not saying no, but we're saying let's have a conversation about how do we get to that solution. an outstanding question. Let me just say other than ESCOM which is a long outstanding commitment we've made no provision is made in this budget for any state owned enterprise. Right? It doesn't mean we're not. Part of tough love doesn't mean we will not support. What it does say, you will support provided certain conditions are met. So, other than the commitment was made, we've made over the MTF on, on ESCOM, no other provision is made in this budget. Am I correct, Dijon? You, you are correct. Obviously, land bank. Oh, land bank. Land bank is is a, is a different thing, no. because we're still a land bank because we're still negotiating with the lenders, an amount which was made, which we may have to transfer for the next financial year. But it doesn't mean <coughs> it will not be funded. Not at all. I'm not saying that. But what we are trying to say, this notion that people will be entitled to say, we didn't perform and so on, we're running out of cash, and then a treasurer must come in. No, you've got to meet specific requirements and demonstrate that you are serious about cost containment, you are feeling about proper management, you are serious about a whole range of other things. So it doesn't mean we, at the appointment when you see me, one day coming up and say, I've got dinner, uh, and say, but where, what happened to tough love? When we are negotiating with them, tough conditions, or anybody. Tough conditions, people must make those kind of, because over time, people must move out of dependence on the state. If you don't put those conditions of a transition working out, 
make sure that you move out of dependence on the state. That's what the eventual end must be. Uh, so we, I mean, there's a time. I mean, we. Um, I've explained the SCOM situation that we deal with it in detail, and it's something which we cannot avoid uh, because of its nature. And I'm dealing. We're dealing with it, and each state-owned institution will be examined and dealt with on its own merits. There's no blanket support. Everybody will have to come to the queue, demonstrate that you are a good child. For you to be rewarded, you must come and say, I'm a good child, I'll behave uh, from now moving forward. I need just need a transition, then we'll talk business. We'll talk because we've never done that to ESCOM for yet, even for ESCOM. If you look at it from 2008 to today, 13 years we've been putting money into ESCOM, 290 billion rand. ESCOM's performance is not different today as it was in 2008. And we spend more time fixing ESCOM than fixing electrical supply to this economy. And there's a difference between the two. There's a difference between the two which links that to the growth strategy we're talking about. If we can't get electricity in this economy, I don't care who brings it. What we want is the electricity. So we've not been focusing on electricity supply. We've been focusing on fixing XCOM for 13 years. Can't be right. And that attempt ESCOM is no better than it was in 2008. So we've got to take hard decisions, hard choices. Even ESCOM has come to the plate, to table. They will have to sell asset as part of that. Thank you. Telecom from business. I've got two questions. The one is the 182 billion. Uh, overflow, adding in the royalties from minerals of 12 billion, which is a big number and it, it can be below the line. I, I'd just like to know, and I know Minister, you did give, a, give us some idea that, of where some of the money was going, but if it is possible to quantify that, particularly how much is going to be put into reducing debt. And the second issue is a, is a really serious one. The country has been talking a lot about state capture. We know the, the president said it was a trillion rand that was taken. Uh, we now see that, that SARS is starting to claw back. I saw in the, in the documents you've got five billion from criminals in South Africa. But what about, what about Bain? We know what Bain did at SARS. We know that Bain is still consulting to South African government uh, or to public sector bodies. And is there any initiative by government follow what SARS is doing about getting money back from the criminals to actually start pulling back money from the Baines, the KPMGs, McKinsey's, HSBC, etc. We spent a lot of money finding out this stuff. Are we going to be getting anything back? Thank you. 
you can't leave paying your friends. Yes, no. and, and Gupta, as you said, you're yes, not going yes. to go on pension until you get there. Yeah, the minister has given me full rights. We will do everything and anything to get them in jail, to talk to outside authorities, uh, uh, to make sure, you know, there's a U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, because they can't get away with just making a payment. They got to pay for their criminal intentions. I think what they committed was treason. Okay, and if you look at the reports, the president, of course, has said that will respond. Minister, he said by the end of, end of June, yeah. there's a court as we speak. So even we'll have to change it in your speech. The government will now given the time to respond in August because Judge Rondo has two more months. Yeah. So we'll certainly respond more comprehensively to all the commissions and, and to make sure that obviously we do all it takes to try and recover funds. Like if you look at Malaysia, they had the one MDB scandal and how you cooperate to get the money back. Look, I, I hope the money is, I doubt the money is still there, but we're going to try and get all these other countries to help because that's the only way to get it. So, it, Commissioner, you want to add? We, Mama is. is I said he's closer to retirement. I said he won't retire until he finds money. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner, you want to say something? Yeah, thanks, Minister. I think just in terms of, of progress on the PP procurement uh, corruption and on Zondo, obviously there are a number of investigations underway. Uh, you, you don't often see the work we do, but I can tell you that in the current year, we have already conducted 650 investigations just in terms of, of these kinds of, of um, criminal economic crime that has been created. Um, just uh, to date in terms of uh, PPE procurement, um, we have had 43 cases that we have handed over to the NPA and uh, 11 convictions on PPE. Uh, 113 convictions in total, uh, and in that was uh, 11 PPE convictions. You also hear the minister today okay. uh, mention in his speech that a, uh, on the failed uh, corrupt uh, Estina Dairy Farm project, um, with the work that has been happening with SARS and the NPA, we have um, arrested, uh, charged and arrested um, uh, one of the directors, as well as a Gupta associate uh, involved in the Estina Dairy Farm project. Um, and so in terms of, of, of progress, it's slow, it's hard work, um, it takes time, um, often too slow for many of you, but we'd rather work thoroughly and ensure a conviction than try and do slapdash work and lose it uh, at the moment when we need a, 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 guilty, uh, a successful conviction. So there's a lot of work happening. A lot of it is invisible to you because we don't do our work in public. But I can give you the assurance that we're making steady progress um, in terms of that. We've also, the minister will announce um, other things in, in, in his speech, but there's more detail when we uh, will unpack that further. Uh, so we are encouraged that slowly we are chipping away at a huge elephant. Uh, but um, like Momo said, uh, we will leave no stone unturned to ensure that uh, those who have perpetrated crime against our, our people will be held to book. 
teaching, can you handle the, I mean, people are get open letters in newspapers that you people are hiding money. Hiding money? Where? Can you explain the 182, the split between this and that, the 32s? What are you doing with the 182? No, no, Minister, we're not hiding money. Uh, we're very transparent. I mean, the, the document is in front of you. We took a deliberate approach um, in, in, in call it the windfall that we have, to apportion that to debt and also to uh, embark on new spending programs. And, and we've done quite a lot on the spending side, by the way. As Minister said in opening remarks, apart from the extension of the SRT grant, support to education, and these are big monies, the PEP Presidential Employment Program, 18.4 billion over two years. These are big, big numbers that we're able to cream off the windfall that we had. But there's a story that I think is very important, and, and Duncan can add more, is that our gross borrowing requirement is decreasing in a big way. What does that mean for our debt interest payment? including the small little savings that you're getting from getting cheap money out there. So that's why I think what we are saying in this budget is that we are on a path to fiscal sustainability and recovery of public finance generally because of the small gains that we're getting along the way and including uh, you know, improved revenue performance. So I think what, 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 what is critical is, is, is that we, we are not just spending everything we're paying debt, and we're reducing our debt, and we're reducing what we're going to borrow by not cheap. I mean, if you look at the, the numbers, we, a minimum over two, three years, 138 billion rand uh, in terms of what would have, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> uh, borrowed. So, so Minister, we, we, you know, the 180, and then the way we, we decided to uh, play it is that the spending that's now. Um, uh, the, 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 and, and, and it's got carried through effect and cost. Obviously, you have to take into account that we cannot be reckless. We, of course, have to have to ensure that <coughs> the risks that we've identified, and I think Carol was talking about it earlier. That there are many risks. Whether it's, it's it's putting money away for 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 for, for, for wages. I mean, the twenty billion that is there. Um, obviously, we, you know, negotiations are going to start. We are saying in the speech that we are eagerly waiting for the Labour Summit. And this Labour Summit, and we, we want to put a case and about sustainability of public finances, and the minister in his speech outlines the intentions uh, that we want to put across at the summit coming now in March. Um, but we will we'll obviously have to see, and, and the, our finances are quite open, and the, the framework minister was never a secret. Yeah. Don't forget that for the last for almost many years, even when Lesicha was the DG, we've been either number one or number two in a budget transparency initiative globally, in, in, in our transparency public finance. So we're not hiding any money. We, we are okay. Thank you. The logic behind the structural reforms is that, firstly, our economy has not been growing since the global economic crisis. Um, and as you all know that the, the GDP is a function of uh, household consumption, uh, investment, government expenditure, uh, export uh, uh, minus uh, imports. And 
the structural reforms, therefore, they seek to make sure that our I in that GDP equation increases. And the reason why the I has not been increasing, that is private investment has not been increasing, is because of uh, no supply of electricity or unreliable supply of electricity, uh, telecommunications, our transport logistics has been very poor, actually very expensive to enable companies even to export uh, some of the things that we uh, produce here in South Africa, including moving goods within South Africa has been a, a challenge. And therefore, we think that to unlock the um, private investment, we've got to deal seriously with the structural reforms. And I'm sure many of you are aware now that um, on the electricity side, uh, government has reformed the licensing requirements insofar as self-generation of electricity is concerned from one megawatt to 100 megawatts. And there are a number of companies now that are investing uh, for self-generation. I think it's 37 uh, projects that we're aware of. Yeah, which are uh, being undertaken by the private sector to generate uh, electricity. And, and the, whatever challenges that we are having in so far as the EIA's uh, environmental impact assessment, which are supposed to be done by the Department of Environment and Forestry, we are dealing with that. We are all aware that uh, from the um, transport logistics side, uh, Transnet is going to allow the private operators to have access um, on our rail. On the skill side, the, uh, because one of the constraints for our economic growth has been the availability of the skill skills. Department I and mean, the government as a whole have published uh, that list of the critical skills, which now the private sector can come in and uh, procure those skills uh, into, into the country. So the, 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 the strategic logic behind the structural reforms is exactly to, to, to do that, to make sure that we, we grow uh, our economy. And there have been a number of things that we've basically done insofar as the structural reforms uh, are concerned. And these reforms, by the way, we're not even spending money. It's just to change the structure of our economy, the structure of certain monopolies in our economy in order to you know, sometimes allow competition. And where there's competition, uh, you force to reduce your production costs uh, because you're competing with other people. Because if you are a monopoly, you just set the price. And that you've seen how it has basically also constrained uh, our economy in the, in the previous years. I'm now just a lot of Biz News, and I'm speaking to Biz News founder Alec Hogg, who this morning was at the pre-budget lockup for Finance Minister Enoch Gorongwana's budget presentation. Alec, just before we get into the questions, what can you paint a picture for me? What does the lockup look like? What's the energy? Well, usually uh, there are two rooms that you go to. Yeah, well, there's actually three, three lots of people. They're the parliamentary reporters. So they will go to their own offices. They are in Parliament all the time. And then there are us who come in for the budget speech every year. And 
we then get divided in two. But this year, things were a little different because of the fire to the uh, to the building. We, we had to change. We went to a different building this year to the one we're usually in. But then we all gathered again at uh, half past 11 for the press conference where you really get uh, some, some good insights. I managed to ask a, a couple of questions, which mm. uh, when you look around you, there must be probably 120, 130 people in the auditorium. So it's, you're quite lucky. I, I feel quite privileged to be able mm. to, to ask those questions. You can also go to Pretoria mm. and go into a lockup at Pretoria, which a few people from, from our part of the world do. But I, I always find it better to be here in Cape Town, uh, you just seem to be able to absorb the mood, the uh, the engagement a lot better. And, you know, you, you, you also get to shake it. Well, not shake a few hands. Nowadays, mm. it's what's it? The elbow. The elbow. Or the punch. Oh. Or <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> new it world. It was, yeah, awesome. it's, it's, uh, I've been going to budgets for many years. And this one mm. was, was quite marked, uh, quite different to uh, the whole mood. It was a lot more relaxed. Uh, usually what happens is you get into lockup. It used to be at 6 o'clock. Now it's at 7 o'clock. I got there a little after 7. I uh, had a mix-up with the Uber, but um, the documentation was only dropped off at about half past 7. Uh, then I only got the speech, or we only got the speech, uh, at about 1 o'clock. So uh, I had to spend a bit of time reading this baby, but it is fantastic. It's It's wonderful to go through the work that the Department mm. of Finance have done, because it's, it's an incredible document, actually. We, I'm not surprised that South Africa has such a high rating uh, on the transparency of its budget, because these guys, they, they, they must have a, a substantial team that puts it together, and every year it's really world-class. You wrote an article that I really would suggest everyone reads, um, Relax South Africa. You said that after the presser, God and Guan and came to you, he put his hand on your arm and he said, I'm relaxed, the ship is turning around. What's your experience with him? Yeah, he's, he's quite a different character. You must remember, Nadia, because I've been doing this work for a long mm. time, uh, I knew Trevor Manuel and Tito Mboweni before they were famous. When mm. they uh, went to Davos, we were in Davos together in 1993, and they were really... I suppose, from a political perspective, very wet behind the ears. Um, and they were very excited about how they could fix South Africa, what they could do, and, uh, and, and to cut out the wastage. And they were very optimistic. And so it sh they should have been, because if you just terminated a, a border war that the country was fighting, and the economic sanctions, and the debt standstill, there were all kinds of reasons why there should have been a rebound. So I think that having had that experience with, in particular, those two gents, um, knowing them, I think the, the first time for both of them on the SABC was uh, coming through when, when I was working there. So having had that, that background, I, I had a, an affinity for uh, what they were saying. I think I was <laughs> well disposed towards them. I think I understood them better. Now, Enoch Godondwana, I don't know at all. Uh, he's He's a... Uh, I've only met him literally at the budget, uh, the medium-term budget last uh, November, <laughs> when he was a bit nervous. He was worried. <laughs> it was his first time out. He was in the press conference room before the media came in, which is uh, a great credit to him, because in the days of uh, Malusi Gigaba, uh, for instance, 
you could you could wait half an hour before these guys deigned to to uh, to share their presence with you, and then they just spoke a lot of rubbish. Um, whereas I, I'm impressed with Goran Guana. He's got a, a an understanding of the ANC history. Uh, he was, for instance, quoting uh, what the ANC had decided in 1992 uh, at today's uh, press conference, and he 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 unpacks things really well. Uh, what I like about his approach is it's also uh, it, it's it's sensible and it's it's not flamboyant, although he does wear a hat, so he's, he's <laughs> quite a flamboyant-looking character. But <laughs> okay. uh, in in his in his discussions, he's conservative, and that's what you want. You don't want mm. your accountant or your financial director of a company, or indeed in this case, a country, to be somebody who's uh, maybe out there. You want somebody who's conservative and and measured, and although he's got a wonderful sense of humour. Uh, and he's he's very relaxed. <laughs> he's uh, you know it, it, I, I was waiting as we finished, mm. um, and uh, he came along and he he literally just took me by the arm, sat, sat uh, stood next to me, and he just looked at me and he chatted a little bit and said, you know, I'm very relaxed. I'm very relaxed. This bo- this boat is turning, and you can see it. The numbers are there. Look, we've had a huge. Uh, injection, uh, 182 yeah, billion rand windfall. Completely. Mm. Came from nowhere. Uh, it wasn't expected a year ago. Uh, mm-hmm. A year ago, they it's like anybody doing a budget. Uh, they The budget was drawn up uh, mm-hmm. in February last year under the circumstances that then prevailed. The good thing is it was done conservatively. Again, you want an accountant or a financial director or a finance minister to be conservative, not to be excessive, uh, not, not to be... To, to be guessing, and in this case, that conservatism uh, really paid off because there was a uh, more than a hundred billion that was earned by uh, extra in company income tax, and a lot of that was from the mines. But a, a lot of the others were from export com- uh, companies, who a year ago, you recall, we were still in the middle of COVID, uh, we <laughs> were still unsure where the world was going, and having this windfall at a time when things were looking pretty bleak is very, very good uh, for, the, for the psyche, for the nas- national mood mm. it should be. And it certainly is very good for the mood of the finance minister who says... Uh, I can imagine. Relaxed. But we would like to believe and have some form of you know, trust that this money is going to be well spent. And one of the questions that you posed to the minister was if they can sort of quantify where this money is going to go. Were you satisfied with their answer? I was satisfied. Uh, the Director General of Finance, uh, Don Mogondwani, is a he's a class act. He's also he's growing into the job. It was interesting as well. It's almost it's it's quite a new team. Sure, you've got Edward mm-hmm. Kisweta from SARS, and you've got Lesetje Kanyaho from uh, from the Reserve Bank, but the rest of them are fairly new, including mm-hmm. the Deputy Finance Minister David Masondo, who. In the last, in the medium-term budget, I don't think he said a word. He was very mm. quiet. This time, he he found his voice, and he was mm. uh, he. I, I've heard uh, lots of reports that he's a he's a top guy when he was the Gauteng Premier, but uh, I saw that on display today. He's certainly got a grasp of what Treasury is about. So if Godangwana went on to bigger and better things, or indeed just decided to step out of the way. Uh, there's a very, very useful deputy sitting there, and we could see that today. So 
I was happy with the response that came back from the Director General of, of Finance. Uh, as he says, South Africa has one of the highest ratings on the transparency of the budgeting mm -hmm. process. Uh, they, there was no, they didn't try and, and, and fudge anything. They didn't try any fake news, which we've mm. been used to in, in the past on these budget <laughs> things. You know, mm. something like, like fiscal drag. And wh what that is, is when inflation pushes everybody, say inflation's four and a half percent, it pushes everybody into a higher tax bracket because you get inflation adjusted increases every year, or most people who earn salaries mm. do. Now, that means that you're going to pay more tax because we have a progressive tax system. And the amount involved is substantial. Now, if you, if you just leave the tax uh, tables as they are, if you don't make any adjustments, mm. then it is an effective increase for the country in income of 13.5 billion rand. <laughs> so what needs to be done, if you're being honest and you're being mm. fair, is to reduce the tax uh, tables every year so that you take care of this inflationary increase. And they did that, but with no fanfare. No, uh, it, you had to look through the notes to find it. It, mm. it wasn't, and I've seen in the past that uh, when this has happened, there's been fanfare, or sometimes it just hasn't happened. Mm. So there's been a 13.5 billion, say, improvement in revenue, automatic improvement in revenue, which just wasn't even discussed. So there's a, I, I like the transparency. I like, just like mm. the way they're operating. But it's, it's very similar humility. to humility. It's a very similar to what Sir Ramaphosa is saying as well. And, and that, mm -hmm. that, that line is consistent. Now, whether it's, it's, it, it can be implemented through the party uh, is a, a whole different conversation. But mm. like with the, the public sector wage agreement, where mm. uh, there's going to be meetings between the finance minister and treasury guys, with organized labor towards the end of next month. Mm. He didn't come in saying, we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. He just said, uh, you know, there was no fancy footwork there. Enoch uh, mm. uh, said, we think that like any other employer, we should get value for money and what we can afford. And we need to restructure the wage agreements, which have been, very, or the, the, the wage structure in the public sector, which has been the same for a long, long time in a way that the cash cost to us is what we can afford. And it's, it's things like that, that that make you pretty hopeful. But look, overriding all of this, mm. $182 billion in revenue, more than anticipated, that covers a lot of cracks. And in mm. effect, if you wanted to get a similar result, you would have had to increase VAT by 6%. So all other things being equal. That gives mm. you a, an idea of the, mm. of, of the scale of it. Everything else being equal. Uh, if you wanted to get to this financial result in revenue uh, from last year and there, were no, there was no commodity boom, there was no increase in mm. corporate taxes or VAT or the economy didn't do better than you expected. Mm. To get this, you would have had to increase VAT by 6% and then hope that you still had the same mm. collections proportionately. And you made the point that it's not unrealistic to imagine that it could happen again we could yeah, have a similar my, windfall my question uh, to the finance minister in fact to the whole group of treasury mm. guys there is something that i think most south africans would like to know we've spent billions on the zondo commission we've had mm. uh, statements about the country being ripped off pick a number one trillion mm. two trillion rands and there were facilitators in all of this. Sure, the Guptas mm. are sitting at in Dubai, yeah. and hopefully 
the extradition treatments uh, agreements will be affected and they will mm. come back to South Africa. But how much money they've got, I guess, we will only find out there. Mm. But there are some very, very wealthy organizations that facilitated all of mm. this. Uh, we've been doing a lot on business recently about Bain, mm. uh, McKinsey. McKinsey came to South Africa. The first job that the managing partner, who, by the way, is no longer the managing partner there, okay. uh, Kevin Sneeder, when he came to South Africa immediately after he was appointed, he said, no, we'll pay back the money. But as the Treasury guys were saying today, paying back the money is, is not what it's about. Mm. Uh, we, want, we want retribution. We mm. want to see uh, the, the damage that you've done to mm. this economy. Uh, to, you need to pay up for that. Don't just think you can take your fee for doing uh, yeah. nefarious work and then mm. think you can walk away. And I love that because up until now, we haven't heard that kind of language. As a mm. public, we've looked here and we said, goodness, we're paying all this money to, to discover these things. But mm. what's going to happen next? Now that all the cards are on the table, mm. uh, I'm expecting that there's going to be some very, very hefty uh, payments made by international companies, or they will simply just not have access to South Africa in the future. And that's, that's a, a, a big stick. It doesn't mean that you know, we're not mm. the be-all and end-all of the world. But if South Africa is terminating your services, you can be sure that we've got enough friends around the world who would do something similar. So these mm. uh, financial and, and professional firms and consultancies mm. uh, who are well-known, who Fine have been, been mm. affecting uh, state capture, are, are in, the, in the sights. And we know the president is going to be saying what he's going to be doing by the end of mm. June. But the guys at Treasury, uh, you could hear from their responses, they're itching. They're itching mm. to get Commissioner Kieswetter specifically, companies. he jumped in and asked you, um, or no, sorry, he jumped in and answered, and I mean, he gave stats and figures about what they've been doing, the sort of um, work behind the scenes. A lot's Do you think going on behind he's on top of things? Yeah, a lot's going on behind the scenes now, mm. and I think that's where we get impatient. We, mm. we want to... We want the guys in jail now. We want, we want the billions to be paid, tens yeah. of billions, let alone billions. Mm. And uh, certainly Edward Kisweta, uh, he, he's, he was at SARS uh, mm. in the glory days when he was mm. number two to Pravin Gordon. Now he's running the place. He knows exactly what needs to be done. He knows mm. exactly what has been done. And he is in the process of turning that around. And, well, uh, I wouldn't like to be in Bain's shoes right now. Reckoning is coming. Well, more than After that, all this they time. should be fessing up. They should be mm. talking to the South African government and saying, okay, we know we made, we, we, we did terrible things uh, by hollowing out your revenue collection service and allowing the crooks to come in. So we need to compensate you. Here is, let's mm. start negotiating. But instead of that, they're just denying. They're denying that they did anything mm. wrong, which is absolutely absurd given that there's been a commission of inquiry, it's taken four years to put together, and the judge, the, the acting chief justice of South Africa, has, he, he's had his say, and his say, his statement is, Bain, you are implicated deeply. Uh, you need to be uh, held accountable. And what, what I got today on that subject from the Treasury team was that these uh, international firms are going to be held accountable. And that hence the point. Yes, there could be another big windfall coming into the country's coffers. We've had a, a good increase from commodity prices. They've been conservatively projected for the year ahead. But if commodity mm -hmm. prices stay where they are, that'll also be another windfall. And then add on to that, 
the proceeds of crime that will be uh, given back to this country, it, it could be another big windfall. People are wondering about ESCOM. What is the government going to do there? Are there strategies in place? Yeah, I, there were a, a, quite a lot of good things there. I, um, I think once again, uh, the finance minister reiterated what he said at the mini-budget, which is we were trying to fix ESCOM instead of trying to fix the supply of electricity into South Africa. So uh, that's now very much government policy. Uh, you saw it in the State of the Nation mm. where uh, the president actually gave a long list of, of uh, uh, stuff that was coming into um, new, new supply that is coming into uh, the South African equation. So that's good news on the, on the one hand. Uh, mm-hmm. And what uh, the finance minister said, which is also very good news if we think about it in context, this is the first year in a many, many years where there's been no allocation to bail out state-owned enterprises. Mm-hmm. So that was all part of the whole Zuma era where mm-hmm. state-owned enterprises were just stealing. And there were wonderful places for the crooks to continue stealing from the public and it was in, they were inefficiently run, so they needed to be bailed out. That's now come to an end and there's no allocation in this budget for a state-owned enterprise. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's been talking about tough love uh, in in November, he said the same thing, and that's exactly where we are on that side. And the second thing is that, that he's also said, now this is very unusual when you are uh, talking about a, a political party with the ideology that, that we understand of the ANC. He said, no, Eskom have got to help themselves. They've got to sell assets. They've got to start uh, reducing their debt by offloading assets mm. that they hold at the moment. Uh, it's... It's different language, but we saw that mm. in the in the uh, State of the Nation as well, mm. that there is a completely different approach that's being followed. It's one of um, promoting the, the, well, protecting the tax base in the first place, because it, South Africa's tax base is incredibly small. It's only, what, 130,000 people who pay 27% of personal income tax. And everybody, every one of those who emigrates is a big drain on the rest of us. Um, mm. But on the other hand as well, there were, there were only two tax rebates. Now, remember, they got, got in $182 billion more. Mm. Only $5 billion of that was allocated for tax incentives or for, for tax breaks. Uh, and mm. it's, it's, it's a drop in the ocean. And half of that, roughly, is going to increase the employment allowance. So if you, as a company, are employing somebody, a young person, you can get, now you can, you can uh, kick back uh, or you can you can take back one and a half thousand rand a month, which is a fifty percent from the initial one. So it's again, it's it's let's get the jobs going. You said in the beginning that Godengwana actually quoted a nineteen ninety two mission of the ANC. What was that? Uh, he was just talking about how we were ready to govern. It's a it's a document he said that the ANC <laughs> compiled back in nineteen ninety two, and he said they haven't they haven't deviated from that. And the context he was using was a question about the IMF and the World Bank and the loans that are uh, being granted by them to South Africa at the moment, mostly to help uh, move along uh, from, from dirty, uh, dirty production to clean production, especially in, in electricity and so on. And mm. he said back then, uh, the view of the ANC always was, yes, we will work with multina- multilateral organizations, but we will not... Uh, put the country's sovereignty at risk. We we want to be an independent country, 
because too often countries can fall into conditionality agreements with these uh, with the IMF and World Bank and then they lose their independence they have to just follow what these bureaucrats in Washington tell them to do and so he was just using that as an example but I, I, I like the fact that he has got this deep deep history hard boiled in the ANC and uh, this deep history of of uh, of where where the ruling party is coming from and I think you know just to close off with the the other thing that that was impressive was remember the ANC got a hiding in the November local elections, elections but there wasn't vote catching certainly not as much vote catching uh, uh, proposals in this budget as you might have expected you've got to give them credit for that Today is Wednesday, February 23rd, and this is your FT News Briefing. Russia is edging closer to war. President Vladimir Putin is endorsing Russian-backed separatists who claim the entire Donbass region of eastern Ukraine. Meanwhile, Western powers are pushing back, both with sanctions and by suspending the Nord Stream 2 pipeline project. But can Germany kick its Russian gas habit? Its industry has really become addicted to relatively cheap Russian gas. So it's in a bit of a bind, really. Plus, how are Russian markets holding up through all this? Unsurprisingly, not so great. We'll tell you more. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need. Very late on Monday night, Russian President Vladimir Putin decided to send what he called peacekeeping troops into eastern Ukraine. They'll support two Russian-backed separatist states that he's recognized as independent. This crossed a line for Western powers, and they retaliated with a salvo of sanctions against Moscow on Tuesday. The U.S. is targeting two of Russia's largest financial institutions, as well as Russian elites and their family members. The FT's Henry Foy has more on Europe's sanctions towards Russia. So the European Union has decided to sanction a large number of individuals and entities. Uh, They've gone after 351 members of the Russian parliament. These are elected MPs, elected uh, representatives who voted for the independence of these statelets, these separatists to be recognized and for troops to be sent in, and also 27 individuals and entities who uh, are linked to actions that have undermined Ukraine's sovereignty. The key thing here, though, is the EU, just like the US and the UK, who also announced their own sanctions packages, are saying this is not it. This is just the first wave. And if you continue aggression against Ukraine, and if there is a full invasion of the rest of Ukraine, not held by these pro-Russian separatists, then there will be more, much, much more. This first wave is targeted. It's not particularly economically damaging, but it's a sign that there is unity across the West in, in standing up to this. Henry, is all this enough to push Russia from further escalation? Well, Mark, officials I speak to here in Brussels, in the EU, inside of NATO, tell me basically no, that effectively Putin has made a decision that he is going to go the whole way and invade Ukraine. That is a decision that he's built up over years. It's an emotional decision. It's an irrational one. And there's really little that the West can do about it, given that Putin is thrown away and torn up all the diplomatic efforts. And he will take these sanctions and the sanctions will slow him down. They will affect the Russian economy. They will make an invasion more painful than perhaps it would have been before. However, they're not going to stop him if that is what he intends to do. And most people, the NATO intelligence community, the the defense community, believes that that is his decision. Now, how is NATO approaching all this? Uh, You know, a crucial issue for Russia is that it wants to keep Ukraine and other former Soviet countries out of NATO. Um, 
what's its role right now? So NATO's role, uh, they've been very clear about this, is to protect itself, to protect alliance members, to, to protect NATO members in Europe. So what they've done in recent months and weeks is to deploy more troops in, in Eastern European countries that border Ukraine and Russia, effectively as deterrence to Russia to say, look, if you are going to invade Ukraine, you're not going to come anywhere near us because we are going to defend our own our own members, but also to help with any uh, cross-border fallout from an invasion of Ukraine, which is likely to be in the form of, of refugees and potentially spillover uh, events such as terrorism. Henry Foy is the FT's European diplomatic correspondent. The news of Russia sending troops to Ukraine sent the price of oil up to nearly 100 bucks a barrel yesterday. And there was other energy news, too. Germany has frozen the approval process on the controversial Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. Chancellor Olaf Scholz says Berlin would not approve the Kremlin-backed project. The pipeline is owned by the Russian-backed company Gazprom and would have increased Russian gas supplies to Germany and the rest of Europe. The pipeline project has been in the works for years, and there has been a lot of pressure on Germany to stop it. But now that it's been stopped, what's next for Germany's energy sector? Our Berlin Bureau Chief Guy Jazan joins me now to talk about this. Welcome to the show, Guy. Hi. So, Guy, um, one of our Lex columnists wrote that Germany has been like a junkie in its addiction to Russian gas. How dependent is Germany on Russian energy? Well, it relies on Russia for 55% of its gas imports, uh, and that's more than many other countries in Europe. It's a sort of, it's an indictment in a way of the country's kind of energy policies over the past few years, because in 2011, it took this rather controversial decision to phase out all its nuclear power stations by 2022. And it's now also phasing out its coal-fired power stations by 2030. Uh, so it has all these very ambitious goals to change its energy mix, but that has made it relatively more reliant on gas. And when you're more reliant on gas, you're more reliant on Gazprom because that's uh, Europe's major supplier. Yeah. And Russia, in response to Germany's move, said, OK, well, you know, this is going to have an impact on already high energy prices. How hard will higher prices hit Germany's economy? Well, we've already been getting a taste of it because over the past few months, uh, energy experts have said that Gazprom seems to be deliberately withholding supplies to the spot market in, in Europe. And that has driven up prices. But um, it's basically destroyed the reputation of Gazprom as a reliable supplier in Germany. The Green Minister of the Economy uh, yesterday said that explicitly. And that's really a big change because in the past, whenever you sort of ask German officials, you know, what about this relationship with Russia? They always say, well, you know, even in the worst times uh, during the Cold War, Russia was a reliable supplier. Those flows of gas were never affected. But that seems to have changed in recent months. And the perception of Gazprom has accordingly changed as well in Germany. So given that this perception of Gazprom has changed, what alternatives does Germany have when it comes to energy sources? Well, none at the moment. That's the problem. Um, it basically is building a terminal for the import of LNG, liquefied natural gas. But that is very expensive, much more expensive than Gazprom's gas. 
So it's in a bit of a bind, really. But the big difference, I suppose, really from the Merkel era, the governments of Angela Merkel, is that we now have this government with the Greens, and they are determined for Germany to go carbon neutral uh, in the next 25 years. And if that ambition is uh, achieved, then there will be much, much more renewables, much more wind and solar, and much less uh, reliance on fossil fuels such as oil, coal, and gas. Less of a question on the economics of this whole thing and more about the safety of German people. I mean, it's the middle of February. Um, If people aren't able to heat their homes, is there a potential issue with people being safe and and warm in, in Germany? Well, I don't think so, because the consensus is that Gazprom and Russia would not do anything as suicidal as withhold uh, gas supplies to Germany. I mean, that literally would be destroying an energy relationship, which is mutually very, very beneficial. It's not just Germany that uh, benefits from this. It's Russia too, which relies very, very heavily on the flow of foreign currency into its exchequer. I think actually, if it were to come to that, Germany is actually quite well placed at the moment because the winter is drawing to an end and it's getting sort of LNG shipments uh, via Rotterdam. So it's a, it has been able to diversify. And apparently ministers have been saying the energy security situation is okay at the moment. Guy Chazan is the FT's Berlin bureau chief. Thank you, Guy. Thanks. Moscow's main stock benchmark has collapsed by a third since October. Markets have been responding to the escalating crisis in Ukraine. Investors are mostly worried about two things. One, a full-blown invasion by Russia into Ukraine. And two, how sanctions, which, you know, we talked about earlier, will affect assets. Our capital markets correspondent Tommy Stubbington has been following this and says there's one area in particular investors are watching. Possibly the most extreme form of sanctions in terms of their impact on the Russian stock market would be an outright ban on trading Russian stocks or Russian bonds on the secondary market, which would make it effectively impossible for Western investors to hold those assets. Now, we're not there yet, but I mean, obviously, any outside risk that investors see will lead to investors effectively dumping the Russian assets that they hold. And they do hold those assets largely because they are included in the indices, the investment benchmarks that billions and billions of dollars of investments follow. Now, how insulated is the market overall, and is it likely that the Kremlin would react? Share price declines on their own are probably something that I imagine the Kremlin wouldn't be too worried about. They'd be more worried about the sanctions hurting at the level of the whole economy. And on that basis, the Russian economy is fairly well insulated from sanctions by the high level of dollar reserves that their central bank holds, which you know should be able to protect the ruble from any kind of run from overseas investors. I mean, so the answer is the you know the Russian economy is certainly more uh, sanctions proof than than possibly it was in the past. Tommy Stubbington is the FT's Capital Markets Correspondent. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. This Budget Speech 2022 Special Edition of the Biz News Power Hour was illuminated by BrightRock, the first ever needs match life insurance that changes as your life changes. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.